0: Hi friends. This is a podcast about belief, healing, and humanity. What makes us who we are? What makes the world tick? And how can we leave it a little bit better than how we found it? This isn't a how-to guide, even though the title suggests it. How to be human is about finding hope in our stories, being better listeners and agents for change. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is how to be human. Hi everyone, welcome to How To Be Human. I just wanna take a deep breath for a moment. Many of our lives have changed since the last time you've heard an episode from me. And many of us may know individuals who've been affected by COVID-19. And for some, we may know individuals who have lost their lives to COVID-19. I want to acknowledge that in today's episode, we will be talking about COVID-19. Perhaps a portion of our conversation today may feel like too much. I want you to know if that's the case, that's okay. If at any point today while listening, you feel anxiousness stirring in your body, take a pause and ask yourself, do I need to come back to this? I want you to take care of yourself and know that checking in is one way to do that during today's episode. Peace to you all in this uncertain time, friends. And may today's episode bring some sort of knowing that you're not alone in this. Today's guest is Reverend Benjamin Perry, who is the Minister of Outreach and Media Strategy at Middle Collegiate Church in New York City. Previously, he worked as a Deputy Director of Communications and Marketing at Union Theological Seminary and as an editor at Time Incorporated. He's an award-winning writer, and his work focuses on the intersection of religion and politics. His byline has appeared in outlets like Slate, The Huffington Post, Soagers, Bustle, and Motherboard, and he has appeared on MSNBC, Al Jazeera, and NY1. He holds a degree in psychology from Sonny Denisio and a Masters of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary. And you can follow him on Twitter at FaithfullyBP. Thank you so much for being here today, Ben. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. First, I ask all my guests if they'll share their pronouns. And and I usually ask guests a fun fact about themselves that they might wanna share. And I wanna carry on with the tradition today. Um, Share your pronouns with us, maybe some fun facts and maybe some things that you've been finding joy in in this moment, if possible.
1: Sure, Uh, so I use he, him pronouns. My fun fact, is I once went skydiving with my grandmother. Oh, wow. Uh, my brother and I went when I turned eight, uh, When my brother turned 18. And after we got back, we were telling my grandmother, and she was like, why didn't you tell me? I always wanted to go. And I <laughs> was like, uh, well, <laughs> it didn't occur to me. And so then the next year, she said, so when are we going? And I, I, I said, uh... I guess, I guess soon. <laughs> and so we went and we jumped and we, uh, my brother and I jumped first and we we're on the ground and, uh, my grandmother comes floating down and she lands and has this big smile on her face. And she, I was like, so grand, what did you think? And she says, uh, I, I liked it. It was really fun. I, I don't get what all the rush is about. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: I've been thinking about my grandparents a lot, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And so honestly, it's, it's memories like that, that I have uh, been sort of turning back to that uh, brings me some, some joy and some hope and connection, even as it's also sort of a painful reminder of, uh, what I'm fe- fearing right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who's the most vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's a lovely story i can I can imagine I cannot imagine my grandmother doing that you You have a rad grandma she's um, the best. <laughs> I don't see what all the rush is about. hilarious. I would be clinging onto the airplane and I would not jump out. That would have been my version, so bravo to everyone who decided to do it. <laughs> oh my goodness um well, thank you for doing that um and thank you for giving. Um, some laughter before we kind of get into some heaviness, um, Ben. I I was thinking about the way that I wanted to start this conversation and. I want it to kind of start it off with, with lament and the variant of emotion that you've displayed on Twitter and I'm sure in other places. And I feel like before we can go into your context of where you are in New York and the church that you serve in, it just feels well to start with emotional honesty. Mm-hmm. And I, I really am interested intrigued to hear from you on, on why being transparent and how you're feeling um, especially as a clergy member, is so important right now.
1: Yeah, it's such. I find myself coming back again and again recently to uh, the story of Jesus and Lazarus, um, and Jesus coming to Mary and Martha's house, and his first reaction being weeping. Jesus wept, uh, and I feel like right now, one of the most important things we need to do is just be honest with our grief and understand that that grief is a prayer and understand that that grief is a huge part of, of what makes us human, what makes us connected to the people around us. Everything that we are, are fighting for starts with that recognition that we are inextricably connected from our neighbor. And so when I see my is sick and dying and I feel that is not something to be ashamed about. It's not something to run away from. It is that reminder that that we are human. And this is that stirring of the spirit, that voice of God speaking within us. That that sometimes tears are our first and best prayer. And I think that we you know live in a culture that's un- unfortunately pathologically obsessed with productivity and and doing, uh, and so it can choke out those moments of feeling and make us feel like our emotions are something to be ashamed of, uh, that they're, you know, a sign of weakness. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, speaking as a, as a man, particularly for men, um, you know, this, this understanding that, oh, to be masculine is to, to be stoic, to not feel. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I try to be really honest with how with the emotions that I'm experiencing uh, in part because it allows me to be a better minister to, you know, to congregants and people in my life um, who are also feeling and affirming that in them. But also just, I, I think it's it's a real huge part of being human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, the, the productivity component, um, I, which is a, a part of capitalism. Yeah. What have you been doing personally, um, in response as a minister and, and just as a human being to kind of Quell the the notion of well now I have to really churn out content now I have to be really protective. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to hear how you've been wrestling with that and that tension, or, or what you've been doing to soothe that.
1: Well, and it's tough because uh, a big part of my job at Middle um, that I, I literally just started in February, um, so I was you know pretty new there, and uh, a big part of what I do is is digital ministry, and so of course. <laughs> As we hit this moment of social distancing, you know, the amount of work that that my team and I are doing is uh, ramped up considerably as we've moved everything virtually, moved everything online, all of our services are happening virtually now, all of our programming is happening virtually. um, And that's really important. And it's offered, you know, opportunities for for folks to connect and still be spiritually connected, even as we've socially distanced, as uh, Minister Jackie Lewis says. Um, But that's also just a, it's a lot of work and so I've found myself you know getting ang- like yesterday I just had a moment for like an hour in the morning when I was reading that New York Times article talking about uh, how overwhelmed the hospitals are right now and describing mm-hmm. you know patients sharing ventilators and I I just started crying, and I didn't stop crying for an hour. Uh, I, the whole time, I was like, "I have all this stuff that I'm trying to do. I have all these things I need to get done." And I was getting mad at myself for feeling, and then I was getting mad at myself for getting mad at myself. <laughs> it's just yeah. this, this spiral yeah. of uh, yeah, of, of capitalism getting in your own head and you know preventing you from being a minister. I mean, one of the things I love about being a minister and, and working in churches is that if if anywhere we can model better balance between work and life between productivity and reflection spirituality and prayer it should be churches um and you know if if i can't start by by carving that space for myself how can i then you know ask you know congregants or uh, you know friends or others to to do the same um and so i've been trying to you know do more yoga i've been baking um yeah my uh my wife and I and my brother, we all live together. Um, we've been, you know, making a lot of communal meals and uh, sort of laughing and mm-hmm. trying to you know, play board games and make music. Uh, my brother and I uh, played music a lot as a kid. Um, mm. And I, we've found sort of coming back to that being a really sort of joyful place. But I also don't want to make it sound that like those things have have allowed me to achieve some sort of, you know, calm or equanimity at I think that they've been, at best, ways that I can sort of keep things somewhat in check and keep my anxiety and my fear from spiraling and keep my, uh, you know, emotions like me being in touch with my emotions rather than them sort of you know controlling me. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a tenuous balance to to put it mildly.
0: How um, how exhausted do you feel right now?
1: I'm really tired. Yeah. And it's the combination of, of, like, just the exhaustion of just having a lot more work and that just, you know, being tiring. Um, but also, uh, yeah, the, the emotional weight of just reading pain, suffering, death day after day, and then the layered anger of watching an administration risk folks' lives. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am shocked. My nerves are shot, my emotions are shot. I keep crying <laughs> sporadically and intermittently with very little provocation. Um, uh, yeah, i'm I'm exhausted.
0: Yeah, I um I think it's uh the NAP ministry. Have you heard of the NAP ministry? <laughs> I have. Um, they're located in Atlanta. Um, where I am right now. And they would visit our seminary um, in the fall semester. And they were visiting us until our world's changed. Everyone's world's changed. And this idea of rest being resistance has been something that has not been easy for me to accept or, or fold into like my normalcy pattern of what I do with myself. But I've been trying really hard to to view rest as you know my resistance to to the things that I can't control right now. The yeah. rest has come not easy. Um, and and the whole pattern of getting mad at being like, well, I didn't rest enough, so I'm mad at myself for that. Like, the whole talking myself through, well, you got five hours, like, that was dope. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> That's more than some people. Um, and then there are nights where, like, I haven't slept at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, so just to give... Um, and I don't think I've mentioned this on the show previously, but I was a journalist for seven years before um, going into marketing, which is what I do now. And I'm now in seminary as well. And so I almost feel like this intrinsic duty to to read and consume every mm-hmm. piece of, you know, fiber of news and story from people. Um, and it has been terrible for my mental health. And also at the same time, I live in the tension of well, like I have to know so that I can know like how to act and how to like be proactive. Um, what what if any boundaries have you been placing in your life with the consumption of news? I am
1: the wrong person to ask that question. To I'm very bad at those. Values. You'll probably hear my my wife chirping in from some other room in the house right now. Don't lie to them. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm really. I'm not good. Uh, I have a similar penchant uh, for just consuming news and information and feeling like that that is in and of itself doing something. And it is. I mean, I'm not you know trying to say we we should walk around blissfully uninformed, but there is definitely a balance there. And I am very cognizant that uh, that my tendency is to uh, ruminate and obsess and read article after article that I'm not gaining new information from. I'm just you know learning the same things over and over again and just sort of letting my emotions run in in circles. And I think actually it is in part related to, you know, something you were bringing up earlier when you were talking about the nap ministry in terms of, uh, rest being a way to short circuit these cycles of sort of productivity and capitalism. Um, I don't know if you've ever read, there's a wonderful book called the queer art of failure, um, by Jack Halberstam, uh, and in the book, he talks a lot about how to succeed in American capitalism is is to fail in, in serious ways, um, That is to, to make ourselves less human, to, you know, uh, to win, quote unquote, in deadening our emotions and, and you know, embracing hyper individualism and squashing collectivity and sort of revolutionary action. And so, you know, what we really need to do is fail more. Um, and be more committed to, to failing, you know, fail better, as Beckett says. So I think about that a lot in terms of, you know, the ways that I consume news, like that I've, I've somehow up to this point uh, intuited or learned that the, what it means to be good at my job, to succeed at my job, to, you know, do digital ministry or, um, you know, gain followers on social media or whatever is, is to just constantly be in this cycle of, of reading, emoting, Cracking my heart open, sharing that with the internet, um, trying to you know find ways to to articulate my feelings, articulate my thoughts, my prayers, and just in this this constant cycle, it's right in a certain sense that like yes, that is how you will gain more followers, that is how you will gain traction. Like, but on a deeper level, I think that I'm I'm starting to sort of see that there are are limits as it comes to sort of me as a person and a human and a partner and a brother and a a friend that that winning in that kind of way is ultimately not uh, a victory
0: yeah yeah our human bodies are not machines um and the way that our virtual world works in capitalism is it requires like a machine-like churning Mm -hmm. and there's like you know beauty and then like really terrible cringy things that happen in social media and, and finding the balance in that I think is perhaps um, an everyday journey (laughs) along with so many other things that become an everyday journey. Um, (laughs) But I was curious because I think that, I mean, what you're resonating um, to me and hopefully to other people is that we're, we're all kind of sloshing through trying to figure out how to do that right now. Um, um, Mm -hmm. And And hopefully that's a truth that can bring comfort and also reflection to, to discern how much is too much in the consumption of, of material.
1: Yeah. And for like listeners, I would just want like folks to like, be gentle with yourself. This is hard. What we are going through is not normal, that there is so much pain and you feeling that pain is, is real and something that you should hold and be careful with, you know? As, as you relate to yourself, I think it's really easy to sort of come down on ourselves and be like, oh, if I'm not, you know, being a, a strong little soldier marching through this, that I've somehow let myself or others down or that, you know, m- it, because my problems aren't the same as other people's problems because I, you know, my loved ones aren't dying from COVID right now, that somehow the emotional anguish I'm experiencing isn't real. Or valid. And it, Exactly. Or valid. And, and it is. So be gentle with yourself. Yeah um
0: when our school shut down there's so much sadness and grief in not being able to to join together in learning and also to say goodbye to people who are graduating and your friendships like they kind of just like they don't end but they don't get to continue in the same way yeah. and there was so much grief in that and i had a lot of trouble in the first few days talking about it because I felt like like woe is me I have so much privilege like my only issue right now is that my relationship dynamics have shifted and thankfully the more and more I've shared and talked with friends and I've been reminded like our grief is our grief Mm -hmm. and we we own that and it belongs to us and thus we can share with ourselves and with others as we feel brave and safe to do so so I appreciate you uplifting that again I think we can't hear that message enough right now
1: I'm glad that you brought up sort of like school graduation because I think that's a perfect example of like so uh union like where I graduated from and worked at until last year um is doing online like virtual graduation I have friends who you know are who I started my MDiv program with in 2012 who are just now graduating with PhDs there and are going to graduate virtually and yes is that you know the the end of the world obviously not but it's like to grieve that is real Mm -hmm. to to have been working for seven years eight years towards something imagining yourself walking across that stage and all of a sudden that's not going to happen like that that is real grief as real as anything else
0: yeah yeah and it's not the same. And it's kind no. of like, you know, it's it's taken from you. You can't go back no. and relive it. Um, I have a friend who um, her husband just finished PhD and was saying, you know, I had no idea that my early celebration with my mentors would be my graduation and like the gratitude around that. Um,
1: like my partner just got a, a literary agent, which is super exciting. And it's something she's been working for Years, I mean, it's a li- a lifelong dream, and I spent the last year, you know, putting a book together and stuff. And and when it happened, I mean, it was we literally it was like a week ago. She was feeling like she couldn't celebrate because that would be wrong or that, you know, she can't be joyful amidst so much pain. And I feel like all of those things are, are so real right now that people feel like they can't celebrate if something good happens. People feel like they can't grieve if, you know, what has happened isn't bad enough to be, you know, grief worthy TM. And it's just so much of like this policing of our own emotional state that is ultimately self-destructive.
0: Yeah. And the policing of our emotional state is a part of our deeper, um, systematic, uh, binding Mm -hmm. and what we've been raised in yeah yeah we we can celebrate we can grieve we can feel all of our emotions um and i think that we need to
1: god's big enough to hold it
0: yeah amen um i want to hear how your community at middle church has been impacted by by this pandemic and if you're willing um and you've kind of shared a little bit along the way so far but um how this has impacted your family as well
1: yeah. So. So. Yes. Yeah, so at Middle, I mean, we're very fortunate to have already been in a place where we were doing so much virtually. Um, just as a, an, a part of our ministry to begin with. So we've been, you know, live streaming services for uh, many, many years now at this point. So when all of a sudden everything needed to go virtual, yes, there were a lot of, you know, adaptations that need to be made, particularly with, you know, programming that used to happen in our spaces, but we were much more easily able to, to pivot than I think a lot of churches who just uh, have fewer resources or, you know, not as much. So, I mean, we have a full-time media producer. We have, or, you know, close to full-time media producer. We have, you know, a, a four-person and uh, sort of communications team that's able to with a you know digital minister and and myself and an incredible social media person. And so I mean, so we have all sorts of resources that have been uh, have allowed us to really expand what we what we do digitally. But what I've seen is that that it has met the, a real, real need. Another, you know, bit of scripture I keep coming back to is, you know, humans are not meant to be alone. And I think that that has been very, very clear. The the sort of pain on top of everything else of just of isolation and distance has been a lot for folks. And so I think it's been really beautiful to see people coming together in virtual spaces, recognizing that that is and can never be a replacement for you know in person gathering. And it's not the same. It's not the same to gather for worship online as it is in a space. It's not the same to You know, have a pastoral care interaction over the phone as it is in person.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just not and yet it's beautiful. And so watching, you know, like last Sunday we had 40-ish folks in their sort of twenties and thirties coming together talking about how we can exercise ethical leadership right now in this moment. Um and like those kinds of gatherings have been really beautiful watching people sort of hold each other and You know, minister to each other. Uh, It's it's been really incredible, Um, and then it's just also been a lot of you know pastoral care. We've been calling every member of the church um, to check in with them and and see how they're doing, and um, and it's interesting. I don't, I didn't know a a ton of people because I'm still, I'm, I'm only you know been here two and a half months, and so a lot of the people I'm calling, I don't really know very well. Um, I may have met once or something, but in some of them I've you know never met. It's interesting getting sort of a cross section of New York community that way. So I've talked to people who have COVID right now and are really worried and scared. I've talked to people who have had to lay off all the workers at their company. I've talked to people who have just been laid off. I've talked to people who have loved ones who are sick, who they're really worried about. And Trying to just sort of hold all of that is tough. I think I'm mean, not just for me, obviously, but for for people. One of the things I've been seeing is that no one is spared. There, you know, the the angel has not passed over any house if it's not someone you know who has a, a loved one or a friend who's sick. I mean, and I'm speaking particularly in New York right now, where there, yeah. there's just so much. I don't know anybody who doesn't know somebody who's been laid off, particularly in a city that is so expensive to live in. The anxiety of that um, would be a crisis at any point you know let alone in the midst of a, a pandemic but then yeah i'm you know talking to to doctors and nurses who you're just sharing like their, their feelings of, of being scared. And that's, that's scary <laughs> listen yeah. to you know, a nurse saying, I'm, I'm really scared right now.
0: Cause those are your leaders. <laughs> yeah, Those are the, those are the people on the front line. That's, that's who I want
1: to turn to for, for, you know, for ministry, for comfort. And then hearing folks just be like, yeah, it's, it's, it's too much. Um, you asked about my family. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that all of my family are healthy right now. Knock on, on wood, but, you know, I mean, I, my grandfather has a, a respiratory illness and so I, he's on my mind a lot. All my family has been you know, sort of f- flung around the, the U S. And so we've been trying to gather on zoom calls. We had a surprise birthday call for my cousin yesterday, which was really lovely. My, my parents zoomed her at like seven 30 and then we all you know joined at 7:35 surprise. Um, and yes, a little moments like that have have been sort of life giving. Obviously, not the first person to say this, but like I, there is this sense of COVID nineteen reminding us of the things that really matter, the things in our life that are truly important. And it's it's really not uh, the productivity. It's not the, the the tweets. It's certainly not the tweets. <laughs> it's it's the people I it's the people I love. It's you know my wife, my brother, my my family. Um, that that sort of reminder of, of how blessed I am to have so many people in my life who I love so deeply. Um, sort of the the tinged anxiety and fear of. Of losing them is also a reminder of just how much they mean to me
0: yeah yeah I'm having a small tangential thought of what a practice would look like where you write down every day what really matters to remind and 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 kind of center down in and I think I will do that now <laughs> um, as my own like practice. Thinking about, thinking about practices every day, there are shifts and changes with our current context. I know in New York every day is just more devastation, more death, more changes. And I'm wondering you know, what practices, whether they be spiritual or not, have you found helpful within um, your community, within your church and, and within yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like I should be praying more right now. And I'm, well, I'm, I, I feel like I have a more expansive view of prayer now that I might have, like, you know, when I was a kid, but I'm definitely not praying right now that much in the way that like, I, I imagine prayer as a child. I, you know, uh, I've been saying prayers with people in sort of pastoral settings, but in my own personal life, like the prayers, at least the, the vocal ones of, you know, dear God, this is, <laughs> this is how I am. This is how I'm feeling. haven't been coming as easily, but I've been finding songs stirring. I've been finding stupid little jokes that I can play on <laughs> my wife and my brother. And like, and we have, Oh my God, we bought this, this creepy Victorian doll. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my, my, my my best friend who also lives with us, but right now is at sea. He's in the merchant marine. Um I hope he doesn't hear this because we're gonna surprise him. He's he's coming home in like a week or two. And before any of this this happened, we were like, oh, you know what would be so funny would be if we bought this this creepy Victorian doll and like put it in his bed so he came home and there was just this really creepy Victorian doll in his bed. And so we did. <laughs> Um, but now, over the last couple of weeks, we just keep moving it around the house. So you know, you'll go into the you know the kitchen to get like you know cereal or something. You open the cabinet, the doll's there. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. and and obviously, that's not the kind of prayer they t- they teach you to. You know, say in seminary <laughs> but but it's been these little moments of uh, of joy of laughter of connection that I I think we would be wrong to not consider to be prayer um, and and ditto for the like the songs that I I've, I've been trying to sing hymns in the morning banjo my guitar out and I uh, I sing something
0: what have you been singing recently
1: uh, and, and really all, all sorts of stuff and everything from uh, One that keeps coming through my heart is just uh, Wayfaring Stranger. I've been singing that one a lot. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I've been starting some mornings with that. Dancing with Myself by Billy Idol. (laughs) I've been playing that a bunch. Um, Sorry, John Piper. (laughs) Very
0: not sorry. John Piper.
1: Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, it really just sort of makes a thing. But I mean, whatever's coming into my my heart, I just sort of... I have a whole list of tabs of a gazillion songs on my phone and I will just sort of scroll until I hit some, I've been seeing a lot of mountain goats recently. John always seems to find a word that speaks to my heart and soul. Um, yeah. And I just let, let song soothe me for a little while. And I know that there's God in that, even if, you know, I'm not saying God, I'm, I'm praying. I'm so worried about my city. I'm so worried about my family and praying for the doctors and nurses. I certainly am, but I, I don't find those kinds of prayers to be where my heart is, is moving right now, at least not first and foremost. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, this has made me think about um, a tweet, not to bring it back to Twitter.
1: <laughs> all comes back to Twitter. You
0: know, it really does. I saw a tweet from someone who's... um. In the Anglican tradition, asking a question, posing it to other Anglicans. But the question was about, you know, if you can do virtual communion. And of course, um, being a first year in seminary, I am deeply embedded in Old Testament right now. Sorry for anyone Mm -hmm. who's like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to talk about Old Testament right now. But I thought about, you know, the Israelites having to, to question everything about their religious practices and how those had to change. There wasn't a temple to go and purify. There wasn't a place to, to mm-hmm. celebrate. And I have I, I found comfort in that. Um, see, I'm getting emotional. See, you talked about getting emotional. I'm going to get emotional.
1: <laughs> there is. There is comfort in that. There's uh, one. It was it just popped up in the lectionary last week. But there's that one passage where in Numbers, I believe, where they're they're wandering through the wilderness, and uh, the Israelites say to Moses, "They're like, what, you you brought us here to die." And I just I love that that like that moment of just sheer humanness, just just coming right through the page, where you're like, oh yeah, that's that that is that is people being human. Like, come on, Moses, <laughs> we could have died in Egypt if we were gonna die. <laughs> And yeah, I think the, the 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 tears that we cry in the wilderness are are our deep prayer.
0: Yeah, I think about that, and maybe it's just me, but it gives me freedom to to look at worship differently right now. Um, what can what can this moment mean for us in reframing what worship can be, what it can look like, what is holy, what is prayer, and inviting God into spaces that otherwise we would have never thought our spaces that perhaps we've framed as holy before
1: One of the things that I've loved that we've been doing at middle more um, and part of this is just a function of like worship moving digitally is that we've been crowdsourcing more things so it's not just uh, you know us playing footage that we have of like hymns uh, that were shot in the space or us uh, you know having just like ministers or other you know folk just speaking direct to camera that we've been crowdsourcing all sorts of prayers and passing of the peace and uh, spoiler, uh, if you tune in the coming weeks, there are going to be some, some musical numbers and things. Um, and, and I really hope that, you know, churches are attentive to the ways that, that worship is moving and shifting right now, because they may be ways that, you know, even as we move back into physical spaces that we should be attentive to. Uh, like the multiplicity of, of voices in worship, the, you know, the, the true communal uh, production of worship, um, is I think a hallmark of all, uh, good worship experiencing experiences. And also some of the, the I, I love those videos that are floating around of, you know, ministers trying to use face, uh, you know, uh, Facebook live for the first time, whatever, like, you know, getting some of the the filters and things will accidentally pop on, you know, like the ministers, you know, offering the Eucharist with a, you know, a, a silly hat or something and people laughing and, and just, uh, that freedom and that that sort of lack of seriousness that sometimes comes with uh, a digital space is uh, is a sentiment that I think we would do well to to carry into worship in other times. Yeah.
0: I I'm thinking about the one video of um uh, somebody had like the googly eyes and they were doing eucharist <laughs> and they had no idea and you know and they they it was an um, an episcopalian priest so they had on the full full garb with the googly eyes and i was like this is just the best thing i've ever seen
1: that's beautiful i god god is laughing (laughs) just somewhere she's super happy
0: thank you for this moment Shifting toward the systemic issues, the pandemic showcases. Mm -hmm. You've been a constant voice on Twitter, especially, at least for me, in naming just how broken our systems were before this crisis struck. And I just want to read the end of a tweet that you tweeted this Mm -hmm. morning in response to um, an article about President Trump denying the New York governor more ventilators. Um, And I just want to read this line. Um, I live next to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. Last night, all I could hear were sirens. Each one a prayer, a desperate plea: God, hear us, heal us, and deliver us from evil. Um, I want to ask you, um, what goes through your mind when you hear me read this tweet back out to you?
1: Yeah, what goes through my mind I was lying in bed last night, just just hearing the sirens it was haunting. I I couldn't go to sleep for so long. I was just, I had read that article that morning talking about Columbia Presbyterian Litter it's two blocks from my house. And it's the hospital that I did my CPE in. Mm. And reading about patients sharing ventilators because there aren't enough to go around. And so that's what I was crying about that morning. And then to that evening read. That the president says, oh, I don't believe that we'll need that many. I don't think we'll need that many ventilators. That—that That is what evil looks like. How can you <sighs> listen to people crying out, people weeping for folks they love who are dying, who have died, knowing that you can do something to make sure that fewer people will die in the days and weeks and months to come and say, oh, I don't think we need to do that. Yeah, One of the things that a lot of the sort of queer folk in my life have been talking about, particularly folks who are a little older, are um, the resonance that they feel between right now and the AIDS crisis. Mm, and yeah. I can, so one of my parents' best friends in college died of AIDS. Um, I remember them telling me about that as a kid, because there are all these photos of, you know, I, I I met him when I was, you know, two years old or something, you know. Uh, you know, being on his, his lap playing the piano and stuff. You know, he was a constant fixture in a lot of my parents' stories and things. And then as I got a little older, they told me that he died from AIDS. And then as I got a little bit older, I and I started reading about, you know, that period. I, I couldn't understand how the government could be so calloused in the middle of a crisis that was killing thousands of people. I didn't understand. And I still I mean I still don't understand. But experientially to watch the president Go on, Sean Hannity, and say, ah, it's fine. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. As people are already sharing ventilators, say so that we don't need them anymore. I, yeah, I, I, I got it a little bit more. It's that, that disdain for lives that you've decided just don't matter. And I think that part of it can't be separated from the fact that Donald Trump has decided that he is only president for the white people in rural, st- in red states. That you know, because New York City is not going to vote for him anyways, it doesn't really matter. I I, I believe with every fiber of my being that that is a, a a serious factor at play right now. That as long as it's just a blue city that is is you know suffering catastrophic illness and death, that really at the end of the day, it's not that big a problem. In the same way that it wasn't that big a problem when Puerto Rico had three thousand people die after the the earthquake and the hurricane. It's it's grotesque it's monstrous in in the true sense of monstrosity of, of you know being revelatory that's you know etymologically where, where monster comes from is, is to reveal and uh, yeah it is revealing every shred of ugliness that has always been so endemic in this country which is laying it bare for everyone to see showing exactly which lives we care for which lives matter
0: and in in parallel to that also, showcasing that this this virus that we know very little about, um, and the very little we can do to protect ourselves, which um, I wish everyone would do. has no mercy for anyone, race, class, gender, sex. It's i I wonder, um, for you, you know, do you think that? that the American people understand the gravity of how deeply our systems are breaking right now, failing us right now, especially healthcare.
1: What I'll say is I I think that, you know, for the 43% of uh, Americans who couldn't afford a Unexpected four hundred dollar expense before this crisis, <laughs> like people already know how badly the system is broken. There are huge swaths of America that were under no delusions that we were, you know, living through some some moment of American greatness. You know, the whatever it is, sixteen million people who were uninsured uh, had <laughs> very clear eyes when it came to uh, evaluating how our uh, healthcare system is serving our country. I think that. There is a segment of the population that was a little bit more insulated from sort of the worst damages of. American capitalism that have recognized just how thin that threshold between being okay and not okay is. And I think there are all sorts of folk who are, who are recognizing that, oh yeah, having an employer-based healthcare system isn't really great when all of a sudden millions of people are, are suddenly unemployed. Uh, on a broader level, I mean, I think you see in in the continued support for the, the president, even in this moment, and the these sort of rising poll numbers, God forbid, that yeah no there there's just still a huge reckoning to come with just how badly things were broken and and broken long before you know this this pandemic it's interesting people have been using that word sort of apocalypse. you know, this is an apocalyptic crisis. It feels like the apocalypse walking around and there's, you know, nobody out there. And, and I think, you know, in the, in the true biblical sense of, you know, apocalypse as unveiling or uncovering, that is absolutely accurate, that, that it is apocalyptic in the ways that it is showing just how badly people have been hurting for a very, very long time and casting an unrelenting, harsh light that you can't look away from. But yeah, I, th- I think about it all the time when, you know, the governor says everybody needs to shelter in place and we have, you know, tens of thousands of New Yorkers who don't have a place to shelter in Um, yeah I've been thinking a lot about Easter recently um, in part because it's on the horizon and and part because of our President asinine comments and in part just because it's been i feel like that's that's what my heart wants right now like i'm super super ready for easter uh and i feel like we have been living through a prolonged holy saturday um that's sort of like the frame that i sort of keep coming back to is that the the ongoing crucifixion of the american people Mm. has been so protracted and so prolonged you know we've been living in this this good friday holy saturday moment for decades and it feels like easter is never going to come and still i believe it will like that's sort of like the the energy that i've been trying to live into to more recently is is daring to believe in easter daring to believe in resurrection amidst all of this stuff that that you don't have direct you don't have resurrection without death. Not to say that that means that death is holy or redemptive or that suffering is, is good, because it's not. But it means that, that there's still the possibility for love to break through. I believe that with every ounce of my being. That resurrection is still possible. That we can still pick up the pieces from the shattered lives that have been broken beneath the wheel of American capitalism. That we can build something better and that, that maybe that this moment can be that that tomb from which we emerge, we see that the stone has been rolled away.
0: Hmm. That's really beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. I think in the beginning, um, just two weeks ago, (laughs) I was hopeful to get to an Easter that I could experience in person. Um, And now I'm just, I think I've been saying along the way that That Lent has never felt more tangible to me Mm -hmm. and that Good Friday will never that 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 will feel so much more tangible to me that that Saturday will feel Mm -hmm. very tangible to me and that Easter will be perhaps the first time I've sat fully in the reverence of what it means Um, and so I'm excited and also um, poised to experience something new Um, and that's life coming out of the the, the midst of immense darkness that is around us right now um, to experience um, resurrection in a new way. I do look forward to that. I think that um, you you had kind of emailed me um, in talking about this, this episode together. You mentioned, um, you posed a question and I really want to talk about it because it's a beautiful question. Um, you know, how can we use this moment to expand our moral imagination and demand the social support we need for collective flourishing. Um, and I'm wondering um, what thoughts you've had around this question.
1: Um, That's, it's interesting. I I think that a huge part of the reason why there has been this Drive on the sort of conservative right towards back to normal. We need to reopen the country for business. We need to you know uh, have you know bring back the churches on Easter. I think that a big part of that has been a recognition that the only alternative to that is creating the kind of generous social safety net that will allow people to continue to live. That is sort of the unspoken bit amidst all of this is this recognition that the systems that we have are no longer working. They are not set up for even the crisis we are currently experiencing. They're certainly not set up for the crises the crises we will experience in the coming years and decades as climate change gets worse. As uh, you know, we experience the next pandemic, the next war, you know, whatever, what have you, water shortages, food shortages, that the only way we are going to there there are two you know paths forward from here one is a really really dark authoritarian state where people work and the people who die die and the other way is that we create a new culture like a fundamental renovation of our social contract of what it means to to be in community and be in relation to one another to understand that, that we can't have billionaires anymore, that that model of economic production is what has brought us to this point. It is what is killing people. That if we want to come up with a way to really allow everyone to thrive and everyone to flourish, that we will need to rebuild from the bottom up. Uh, and that There's hope in that. Uh, in her book, This Changes Everything, uh, Naomi Klein has a Beautiful um, section where she's talking about that the destruction that climate change will wreak on American culture uh, is not something that we should weep because the changes it will force us to make are changes that we should have made already. The things that will make Life more equitable, more just, more fair are exactly the things that we need to do in order to adapt to climate change. Um, and I think about that in terms of you know the, this pandemic as well. That the kinds of changes that we will need to make to to our system in order to ensure, or that you know, we can avoid sort of worse pandemics in the future, that we can avoid worse suffering of all sorts in the future, are you know shifts from an individualistic mindset to a communitarian mindset. Uh, you know, a, a greater recognition that we are beholden to our neighbors, that we are not, you know, uh, islands unto ourselves. Like these are, th- th- that's the gospel. <laughs> and so <if> we're gonna, <laughs> we should be rejoicing to to be living through a moment where where all of a sudden, that is not only possible, but necessary. Like that should be the galvanizing force that brings people together from all over the place and says, you know what, the pain that we have experienced does not have to be forever.
0: I keep thinking about um, Toni Morrison's um, Beloved and the line um, in Beloved where Mm. the line is um, something along the lines of they could only have the grace that they could imagine. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we can only have the world that we can imagine. And right now we have to be bold, prolific imagination goers and doers and seers.
1: I think that's been one of the huge impediments to progress is has been our inability to imagine what we truly need, that we get so locked into our our conceptions of what is possible, quote unquote, that we preclude the the possibility for the the changes that will actually bring what everyone needs to survive and flourish. That if if we get locked inside this, this prison of our own imagination of our own, you know, uh, capitulation to the status quo that we, we miss the exciting work that God is calling us to.
0: Yeah. Um, a, a question I, um, ask people, um, especially individuals who I'm in conversation with who are deconstructing, um, Faith in relationship to the intersection of sexuality and gender, I ask them, um, "Who told you that? Um, who told you that that's what that means? Who told you that that's the way that you have to be? Who told you that you couldn't?" Um, and I, I wonder um, if that's the way. If if those questions can be utilized in in pushing into our our bodies and our spirits to to liberate our imaginations. Um, I know a, uh, for me, I'm guilty every day. Well, I can't do that <laughs> um, because my my job will will desire this, or I need to do this for other people. Um, I have to investigate myself and you know ask myself, well, who told me that I
1: that I can't? And I think the the flip side of that is is the sense of, of I'm not worth that. You know that that sense of you know who told me this and and when did I start to believe it was true? Um, Because it's one thing to, you know, to hear that, you know, you're only worth as much as you're able to produce. It's only, you know, that access to healthcare is a privilege that, you know, having clean drinking water, it should be something that, you know, one aspires to. And if you, you know, you happen to live in Flint, well, you should just move. You know, it's one thing to have those damaging toxic narratives circulating in the air. It's another thing to to breathe them in and then all of a sudden start starting to believe yourself that 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 air is fresh. That is, you know, you talk about deconstructing. That is a lot of what I sort of keep coming back to is how can I um, not only recognize the lies that I've been told, but but really stop believing them.
0: I think that we're in an in-between moment where peace will be found in what we can find um and I'm not prescribing a if we do this then everything will be right kind of clause but I I feel like if we start seeking and wrestling with those questions then we can discern you know well, what is my purpose in this as opposed to being overwhelmed with the immense need um because the the answer isn't do it all Mm -hmm. um we're not built to do it all. We're built to be here for one another so that we don't have to do it all alone or in few numbers. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, I want to to give space if there's anything that you want to add to the conversation or, or bring up um, before I ask you a final question. You're free to do that here.
1: How are you doing, Rachel?
0: <sighs> Shitty. I have, um, and I talk about this freely in different spaces, so I have no quorum with saying it here. Um, I have PTSD um, Mm. from a violent drama from a year and a half ago. So this this crisis um, has me in a daily state of um, activation. So I've been... um, Bouncing back and forth with that and figuring out how to, like, be graceful with myself and, and also just have grace for myself. Like, you know, I was supposed to edit a podcast and put it out this week. I didn't. It's going to oh. be OK. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I didn't do my assignment when I needed to do it. And my professor emailed me and, and I will email him back in my own time to explain why I was delayed. Um, but it's just been, it's been hard to deal with that. Um, and my, my wife and I both, um, um, you know, are living in a 650 square feet apartment, which, um, I can only imagine what the square footage of your situation might be with all the human beings in your, your establishment. Um, but it's been interesting to navigate, um, The difference in relation to dynamic, Um, and Mm -hmm. I will now ask my wife for permission for that to stay in the podcast. (laughs) Um, um, But just, you know, it's different. Our patterns are different. Um, Excuse me. I want to say rhythms are different. Patterns break all the time. Rhythms can change. Mm -hmm. Um, Our rhythms are different. And there isn't like an easy... You know, I, I want to control my anxiety by like, okay, let's write down all the things that we can do <laughs> yeah. to take care of ourselves and what are fun things we can do. And right now that just is like an overwhelming, um, task and I'm an extrovert. So, um, biofeedback is real. And so mm. not being able to be physically in the presence of people has been so hard for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm shitty in that regard. And also I'm sickish. Um, I usually get a sinus infection during the summer-esque springtime and COVID symptoms vary. <laughs> so... You know, yeah. my sinus pressure and my occasional headache, and, you know, full disclosure, I'm PMSing right now. So, like, I'm feeling all kinds of things. <laughs> and that constant
1: anxiety of, like, is it COVID? Is yeah. It-
0: <laughs> and I have a cough because, like, I know inherently that the pollen counts really high. And, like, but, like, you don't know. So, the mental warfare in that for me as a person who has all of this compacted trauma anxiety is really fucking hard.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in you bringing up sort of the lens of, of trauma right now, uh, in particular sort of you know, PTSD. I wonder how like how much of what is happening right now collectively is also a product of our own unresolved trauma as a, as a nation, all the trauma that sort of goes on every day that doesn't get named. I don't know if you have any sort of thoughts about how you sort of see those kinds of dynamics um, play. Oh my
0: gosh, yes. <laughs> the first answer is yes. <laughs> Let me just say this now to anyone who has just stayed with us for this entire time to this moment. Um, Thank you. Um, This is trauma. What you're experiencing right now is traumatic and it is okay to not be okay. And if it's pressing on something and you're becoming more, you know, anxiously built up, it might be because there's something else underlying that's there and explore that. We have a lot of time to do (laughs) explorations right now. Um, I know that accessibility to, um, mental health care right now can be a struggle, um, What you're feeling is not normal, as Benjamin has um, said earlier, and what we're all experiencing collectively is trauma. I saw a beautiful Twitter thread. Again, it all comes back to Twitter. Someone made a comparison um, about our collective nation um, trauma and how we could not imagine a leader like Warren or a leader like Bernie Sanders um, because Biden was safer. (laughs) Um, And Biden was a person who could... um, who could stay in the safe lane so that we couldn't be any more traumatized or shocked or, you know, we just needed to get out of this era of Trump. We, we need someone that can do that. And we are just too afraid and too scared that someone who's that radical can produce that for us because we can't see that radical because we're in fight, flight or freeze mode right now. Um, we've been under the leadership of someone who only cares about the upper-class of upper-class white needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's trauma. Um, And and repeated from the ways that your wages may be slashed or that you may have been laid off before this from the ways that you have fought for health care and the prices have increased. That's trauma. Um, and so I, um, that's kind of the first time that someone had framed this thought of like a, a nationwide like um, trauma experience with the election and not being able to envision someone outside of Biden being our next president. Um, and trauma, trauma binds you Um, you want to keep yourself safe. So you operate in a survival mode. Um, I'm there right now. I'm in survival mode. Hmm. Um, and, and I've accepted that that's where I am because, you know, I've done a lot of work to discern what it means for me to have PTSD and what it means to be in this body right now. But survival mode means that you're only going to reach for the things around you on your shelf. Yep. Right. Um, why do we go and grab all the toilet paper? <laughs> um, why do we go and grab all of the food? Um, we 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 can't imagine our future right now, so we need to ensure that we have a fortress around us because no one else is going to do it for us. That might be the mentality. And yeah, I could we could talk about trauma for a while. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: I just um I was talking with a friend who will be on the podcast soon, who's a a. A therapist, you know, they're questioning and thinking right now. You know, how is mental health care going to change, um, and how is the conversation around that going to change? Um, because the the wake of what is going to come mm. post this pandemic or through this long valley, I think this is a long valley. Yep. Um. Will will determine, you know, our our overall health status. Um, I can't stress enough. Um, even if you can't or don't have access to a mental health professional, seeking a friend, a family member, a clergy member, someone that you trust to talk with right now is so important. Um, we cannot wrestle with the weight of how big this is in isolation. Um, it yeah. just it won't work. It will break you down.
1: Um, and I would add to that if, if you don't feel like there is anybody who you you can talk to that even if I don't know you my DMs on Twitter are open I'm always happy to talk to folks and so if you're just looking for someone to uh, for a listening ear kind word I'm always happy to talk to people
0: thank you for that Um, I am the same way you can direct message me on Twitter Instagram you can also email me through my website which is linked on Twitter Um, we um, also be kind with us yeah Um, we 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 open that up and I I'm, I'm going to stop saying we because I'm speaking for me and you at the same time. But I open that up to you and know that I might be in a place in that moment where I can't respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I try my best to to respond with a short message to say that and to hold your what you've shared with me and come back to it. Um, but know that we too are are dealing as well but have grace in in the time period of reply know that we we're, we're holding you and and we'll we're coming back to you so that we can have our collective strength to be with you in that moment yeah yeah do you have any thoughts i just went on a whole tangent <laughs> um but you asked the question to me but do you um have any thoughts as well i don't want to cut you off from
1: doing that as well no i, I just wanted to hear you talk about it Thank you for sharing.
0: <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, a lot of the the writing and work that I do is um, is around trauma, not necessarily because I have it, um, but. Because I, because I am queer and because I am non-binary, because I've experienced spiritual trauma, that's like where my work is.
1: I think it's such a, you know, important lens for any kind of uh, biblical work too. That you know, that recognition that the Bible is a document forged out of trauma, that it, it is the collection of a whole bunch of different people grappling with really, really profound trauma that, like, frankly, we can't even really imagine. Like I can't imagine what it would be like to watch, you know, tens of thousands of people get crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire. Like, it, yeah, I, I don't want to imagine it. I don't. I pray that I never see anything comparable to that. But you know, you have this entire document that is forged, forged out of profound trauma, and so that's I think one of the reasons that I keep finding uh, reason to go back to it um, is that that you can feel that the trauma in those pages. Um, and that, you know, sometimes it can be helpful in navigating our own.
0: I want to honor your time and your space, um, and the rest of your day. Um, so I'm going to pivot us to our last question. Um, I ask all of my guests this, um, so, uh, it's, it's my it's my fun but it's also um, it's been prophetically beautiful to listen to everyone's unique answers to this um, and during this time I um, I feel like we need to know what people think about this more than ever um, so here's the question um, what does it mean to be human and live into our humanness during this time I think
1: for me a big part of being human is cracking our hearts open and finding what's inside. I I was so dead to myself for so long um, for a number of reasons that I won't go into now. But I, you know, by the time I got to seminary, I don't think I had cried in like at least five years. Um, and I was so numb. I started a spiritual practice pretty early on in seminary where I was just finding something every day to make myself cry, which sounds ridiculous um, that I should need to develop a practice where I'm like looking around for like tear-jerking videos and all sorts of other things in order to like remind myself that I'm human, but uh, that's what it took for me. But it was that, that process that allowed me to sort of rediscover my own humanity. So I think that that's for me where it starts is, is being in touch with who we are and how we're feeling. And then the, the, the addendum to that, the, the second part of that is then seeing how that love that we find in ourselves within ourselves is reflected in our relationship with other people. Um, the, that, that is for me, the, 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 the two part <laughs> step of being human is, is knowing your own humanness and then seeing humanity reflected in others. Um, and that to live fully as a person is, is, to, is to find ways in, in everything we do to, to honor that. Um, And so, you know, as it pertains to politics, it's, you know, embracing politics that uh, both honor our own individual humanity and collective flourishing. Uh, In love, it means being tender with ourselves and the people we care about most. It's telling them exactly how we feel and sharing deeply of ourselves. And faith, it means recognizing that that's exactly what God wants us to do. You know, that, you know, when Jesus talks about the great commandment, you know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, that, these, that is that sort of one-two of, you know, being in touch with the way that the Spirit is moving within your own soul and then recognizing that if we do that, the only logical next step is to extend that same compassion and care to the people in our lives.
0: thank you for sharing the response to that question and for sharing your emotions and where you are and how you're dealing and movements you're doing each day I I'm humbled that you shared time with me and I'm grateful for your voice I'm so grateful for you as
1: well Rachel and thank, thank you so much for inviting me to come on here and talk with you and for your wonderful questions and consistent sort of courage and love and encouragement to to be honest uh, on a daily basis.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want you to share with folks just one more time. Um, where they can find you and also where they can find um, yep. Middle Collegiate Church. So I'm
1: uh, Benjamin Perry. I am the Minister of Outreach and Media Strategy at Middle Collegiate Church in Manhattan. Um, it's down in the East Village. It's a wonderful church whenever uh, we're back to, to being in person. If you're in New York, uh, love love to see you there. Um, online right now, you can find us at middlechurch.org. Um, We're streaming all of our services and have a calendar of virtual programming that you can check out if you're looking for community and connection. Um, You can definitely find it there. Uh, And then for my own sort of daily musings and stuff, you can find me on Twitter at faithfullybp, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it.